Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Thursday. Welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks. We appreciate you being with us here for some sports talk about teams in the state of Georgia. And we have plenty of things to discuss, football, basketball, and baseball. A little college baseball mixed in there as well. Good things going on in Athens, even though they lost last night. Still, Charlie Conning is going to be a star. Well, yeah, I think he is a star. I don't think we have to say he's going to be. I think he is a star. If you haven't heard about it, I think we got a little star down there and up there in Athens, I should say. We'll start with the Braves today. And uh, what, 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 what have I been saying about calm me down, calm me down? You're going to have to calm me down, folks. This is going to get out of control. I, I, I need to continue to remind myself it's February 29th. What was I saying a couple of days ago and yesterday? Hey, slow down now, Billy Bob. It's uh, late February. It's not even time for the regular season. We're four weeks away from the start of the regular season. How about that? Uh, four weeks from right this very second, we will be getting ready for the Atlanta Braves and uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, which for some reason it makes no sense that they're in Philadelphia, but they are. They will start the season on the 28th of March at 3.05. So there you go. We are four weeks away. Still a lot of baseball to be played. But in the first couple of games, six, seven games that we've seen so far this week, there is a lot of positive going on. Braves had a split squad situation today, which means... Half of their club was staying behind in Northport, and the other part of the team was uh, on the road at Port Charlotte to play Tampa Bay. Minnesota was the team the Braves played at home. And, uh, again, look, the Atlanta Braves last year scored an enormous amount, 5.7 runs per game. Look, uh, if you score 5.7 runs per game in a baseball game, I don't care where you're at, you got a really good chance of doing the deal, right? You got a really good shot. Ooh, I was close. Really good shot. And I don't have any questions about the Braves' offense this year. I don't have a whole lot of questions about the Braves, period. But I don't have a whole lot of questions about, well, will the Braves score? A lot of runs. Now, they may not score 5.7 runs per game. That's going to be a tough task. They're going to have to keep people healthy. And I'm not saying it can happen because the offense is outstanding and there's room for improvement at left field with Jared Kelnick. There is room, and maybe somebody else. we got to talk about that too. There's room for improvement at catcher where Sean Murphy kind of tailed off last year. There's room for improvement at shortstop with Orlando Arcia, right? And there's even room for improvement at center field with Michael Harris, who I think could be a 25-25 guy, maybe 30-30. What happens to this team offensively if Michael Harris, at 23 years old, becomes a 30-30 man? And look, I don't think that's out of the question. I I don't think it's out of the question. But what happens if he becomes that type of player? 
Number one, he probably won't be batting ninth, although I still like him batting ninth. I'm probably going to be in the minority with this because if you've got a guy who can be a 30-30 guy, you probably don't want him hitting ninth. But let me tell you something. When you go to, like, the bottom of the third inning and it's Arcia, Harris, and Nacuna, man, that's hard to beat. That's kind of ridiculous to have Harris and then turn the lineup over with Ronald Acuna Jr. I kind of like that still. I, I, I'm sure that Snitker will put him up higher, but I I don't know. I, that's that's going to be a little interesting part of the the game. Now, you you want someone like that to be able to hit as many times as you can. And if he's hitting ninth, he's not going to hit as many times as the people at the top of the lineup. I mean, that, you know, I'm not a math major, but I can figure that out. But still, I, I do like that kind of turnover in the lineup where Harris is there and there is Acuna waiting on deck because that gives Mr. Harris a lot of protection because you you got to be careful. <laughs> you don't want to do nothing with Harris and have Acuna come up there and, and pop a two-run home run. But I don't worry about the offense. I, I'm Again, uh, am I going to complain at the end of the year if they only score 5.5 or 5.3 runs per game? Anything over five runs per game for an offense is unbelievable. That's great. Really good, but this pitching staff is what kind of has me going. February twenty ninth, Bill, February twenty ninth, and I get it. You know, I, there's four weeks left. I'm telling myself this, but today Spencer Strider threw his second game of the spring, three shutout innings, and he had. Five strikeouts. Did not give up a run. That's what shutout means. Two hits allowed, one walk, and five strikeouts. That's five shutout innings so far for Mr. Strider. Now, what's even, lack of a better term, sicker is the video that someone put up on on Twitter of a second inning at bat against Spencer Strider. No, this is not one at bat. This is a three different pitches where he threw a curveball change up and then another curveball. I need to retweet this video right here. Curveball change up and another curveball. Look, I've always thought, not that he's asked me, but I've always thought that Spencer Strider's change up was underrated. I don't think it's that bad of a pitch. And I think he has erred in not throwing it more. I really do. Because I think even if it's a get-me-over changeup, <laughs> with the stuff he has, you can really mess people up. I, I love the changeup. I, I have always believed that there's no more important pitch for a pitcher than a changeup. Especially if you're a fastball pitcher. Because if you get a hitter off stride, it can really screw them up. It can screw them into the ground. It can be so embarrassing for them. For Spencer Strider to come out here this year and say, oh, by the way, I got another off-speed pitch. I'm not going to call it a curveball, but it's another off-speed pitch, and I think it's going to be effective for me, is sick. That's ridiculous. And go, go look at the video at Bill Shanks on Twitter. Go look at the, the, the curveball. Now, it's not, you know. Max Freed curveball. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be a Max Freed curveball for Spencer Strider to throw it 
for strikes. Again, just the knowledge as a hitter of you going up there and thinking, okay, Spencer Strider, well, he can throw a fastball. He can throw it in my eyes. He can throw it in my head. He can throw it outside. He can throw it you know, anywhere he wants to put it. He's got great command for his fastball. He's got a really good slider. He's got a changeup. Oh, and by the way, he's got a curveball. Folks, that is a nightmare when it comes to what the opposing hitter is going to face with this guy right now. If he can continue to, to throw, he, he, I think, and I may be wrong here, I, I, I hope to be able to talk to Rick Kranitz about this spring training. You know, even a get-me-over curveball, he may say right now that he's got to get-me-over change-up. But, uh, again, I think even a get-me-over change-up can be so effective for for Spencer Strider because of how elite his two main pitches are, the fastball and the slider. Even if it's get me over curveball, just the knowledge of the hitter. Well, let's see, what's he going to throw at me now? And if you're sitting there expecting a fastball and all of a sudden you get a curveball, that's ridiculous. So he's got four weeks to continue to improve this pitch that he's throwing now, and I'm sure he's been throwing it all off season. It's a real interesting development. Because I don't know how much better Spencer Strider can get. But I'll tell you this. If you're a betting person, you might want to call Las Vegas and put a little wager down on Mr. Strider being your Cy Young Award winner this year. Because I wouldn't put it past the cat at all. Not at all. It's curveball or not. I mean, even without the curveball, look how good he was last year. Right? Curveball or or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I looked at the reporters who were there. Mark Bowman, um, <clears throat> this is what he wrote about Strider's performance. He said Strider pitched around a leadoff single in a scoreless first. He used the curve to get Matt Walner to look on a called third strike. Strider struck out each of the three batters he faced in the second inning. Each of the three strikeouts concluded with a breaking ball. Looked like two were curveballs. Having an 85-mile-an-hour slider and a curveball that has been 81-83 just makes him even nastier. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just doesn't make any sense of how unbelievable the addition of another breaking ball could be for him. Ridiculous. Let me see if O'Brien writes anything about him uh, for today's game. Yeah, well, for the first two starts for Spencer Strider in spring training, five scoreless innings, three hits, two walks, nine strikeouts. It's pretty good, folks. So... Anyway, again, it's February 29th. I know. I've got to stop, but still, it's fun to think about. In the game against Minnesota, Aaron Bummer, the new left-handed reliever from Chicago, the White Sox, that big trade the Braves made with uh, the Pell Hose, the uh, debut for Aaron Bummer was very, very good. He had a, a scoreless inning with one strikeout. Joe Jimenez had an appearance for Atlanta today as well. He had a scoreless inning, one hit, one inning of work. A.J. Mentor came out again. I think that was his second appearance. One strikeout, zeros across the board in one inning. And Pierce Johnson, one walk, one strikeout, one hit, one inning, no runs allowed. Pretty good. In that game with Minnesota, the Braves have uh, scored five runs. They have gotten an RBI double from Ronald Acuna Jr. 
two RBI hit from Michael Harris. He now has four RBI on the year, and Eli White with two RBI as well for Atlanta. In the game in Port Charlotte against the Tampa Bay Rays, Dylan Dodd got the start. Here goes Dylan Dodd doing his thing again. He did it last year. Dylan Dodd, two scoreless innings, no walks, no hits, no runs, two strikeouts. Ray Kerr, a lefty reliever for the Braves, who they got from San Diego, pitched an inning, did not do very well. Two runs, three hits, two strikeouts, however. Alex Anthopoulos really likes him. He'll start the year at AAA. Charlie Culberson pitched for Atlanta today in a spring training game, Major League spring training game. He had a scoreless inning of work. One hit allowed, that's it. Charlie Culberson, as you may know, is trying to win a spot in the minor league system for the Braves as a pitcher. And it's a great story. And if he makes that <laughs> if he makes that Atlanta Braves team at some point this year, he won't out of spring training. So let's don't even think about that. But if he makes that team at some point out of out of triple A, it's going to be unbelievable for those teammates because they love Charlie Culberson. Much as you think the fans love him, the players love him too. And that would be unbelievable. The Braves have scored a ton of runs today in the game against Tampa Bay and Port Charlotte. They have had home runs from Forest Wall. How about two home runs? Marcelo Zuna also with a home run, a solo shot, and that's really good. Forrest Wall, let's talk about him for a moment if we can. He has two home runs and six RBI. Now, let me remind you, and in the same moment, remind myself out loud that it's February 29th. It's February 29th. We're four weeks away from the start of the season. However, Forrest Wall is something that's very interesting. You may say, Bill, who the heck is Forrest Wall? Forrest Wall is a 28-year-old left-handed hitter that was a first-round draft pick of the Colorado Rockies out of Florida back in 2014, a decade ago. He signed with the Braves before last year, and after playing in the minor leagues for many, many years, for Colorado, then Toronto, and then Seattle, he signed with Atlanta, and he made his big league debut last year, and he actually was on the playoff roster against the Phillies. Last year for AAA Gwinnett, Forrest Wall hit 280 with a 372 on base percentage, eight home runs, 43 RBI, 52 stolen bases in 90 games. 9 0, 90. 90. 52 stolen bases in 90 games. Came up to Atlanta and he had five stolen bases in 15 games played. Only 13 at bats, but. He had a home run, he had two RBI, and he had five swipes. Now, I think Forrest Wall is going to make this team. I thought that even before the spring began because I think a pinch runner late in the game is a valuable commodity in today's game, the ability to steal bases. And if you have someone really, really fast, it could be a really interesting situation for you. The story came out earlier this week from, I believe, David O'Brien that the Braves had sent a couple of hitting coaches to work with Forrest Wall in the offseason. Now, again, spring training, minor league pitchers, I get it. I'm not trying to make Forrest Wall the MVP candidate. However, 
Forrest Wall so far in this spring has three home runs and eight RBI and is hitting 556. All right, Bill, February 29th, February 29th, February 29th. But look, Jared Kelnick's going to be the left fielder for the Braves, okay? He is. And he's going to be given every chance he can to make this work. I don't think there's going to be a short leash on Jared Kelnick. I think the Braves are going to give him every opportunity to try to do what he can to to be the full-time left fielder for the entire year. I really do. But if Forrest Wall, what if they had found something here? What if, what if they've got something here? What kind of weapon could that be? And you want to talk about number nine hitter. What if Forrest Wall got some at-bats and he was the number nine hitter and you had Forrest Wall with Acuna behind him? You got speed on the bases, double barrel shotgun, right? You got unbelievable speed right there back to back. Now, again, it's spring training. It's time to talk about best case scenarios. It's time to talk about, hey, wouldn't this be fun if this happened? So forth and so on. But I love these kind of stories where a player that may not have made the big leagues or may have not really reached his potential or lived up to his potential as a minor leaguer gets another opportunity with another another team and kind of takes off. Happens all the time. Uh, there'll be some stories this year where it'll it'll be like, wow, that's pretty cool. He got his chance. He, he, he took advantage of it, and look what he's done. Could this be Forrest Wall for the Braves this year? I love the speed. I, I, I love the speed. I love the fact that this guy can really run. I think he's going to be a member of this bench. But what if he gets some playing time and he actually does better? And I'm laughing because they scored 5.7 runs per game last year. How much more can they do? But what if they had another speedster like this? It's crazy to think about. It really is. Alex Anthopoulos knows what he's doing. I hope you're doing your job as good as Alex Anthopoulos is doing his job. Now, he's not perfect. You know, he signed Cole Hamels, and we, we kidded him about that one time on the show. I mean, that was a mistake. He knows that. He's not perfect. He 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 he's he's made some mistakes, but I mean they're they're six-time division winning champions and he's been here 6 years, so he's pretty good. But what if they found another kind of diamond in the rough here where Forrest Wall can not only simply be a pinch runner late in the game, but he can really contribute to this team. That's scary to think about now. It really is. So, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch again. Tomorrow's March 1st. So, four weeks of baseball, plenty to go, plenty of time to watch things. But you, you do kind of look at things early on and say, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, oh, wow, Chris Sale, look at him. Oh, Max Free looking good. And you may also say, well, hold on now. it's We haven't seen Charlie Morton yet. What's the deal? Right? You could say, well, is there anything wrong with Charlie? Not that I know of. He may be a little slow out of the gate. He is 40. But, you know, we haven't seen Charlie Morton yet. Is that a problem? Well, I hope not. I've seen just about everybody else. Have not seen Hurston Waldrop. And, and you know, I, I'll be anxious to see if they say he's going to pitch tomorrow or what's going to happen. But we haven't seen Morton in a game. We haven't seen Waldrop. We've seen all the other fifth starters in the competition, Lopez. And we've seen Smith Shaver yesterday. We saw Dodd today. So we've seen uh, several members of that, of that group. But, um, Man, so far, the early returns are really promising, and that's really good. Because I think we're in for a hell of a year. 
I do. I, I, we can't guarantee anything for October. Nothing. Are they going to be there? Yeah, they're going to be there. Do you know how colossal of a collapse it would have to take for them to not knock on wood somewhere, folks? Do you know how colossal of a collapse it would have to take for the Braves to not make the playoffs? With the way they have it. I mean, there's no way they're not going to make the playoffs, right? They've got to make the playoffs. With this team, it's, it's a great team. And we can't predict what's going to happen in October, just like we couldn't last year or the year before or the year before that. I mean, how, how is I going to predict in 2021 the Braves are going to win it all? Heck, I thought they had a better team in 2020 when they pushed the Dodgers to seven games the NLCS. They lost. They lost a 3-1 lead. I think if they got into the World Series that year against Tampa Bay, they would have won that year. Instead, they won the next year, and I'm, I'm mighty fine with that. But this year's team's going to be good. And to see a Forrest Wall story or Ken Giles yesterday. I watched when I got back home from Savannah last night, I watched Ken Giles pitch in that game yesterday. I didn't really see it yesterday. We were watching the game at Coach's Corner, but I, I you know, I wanted to kind of pay attention to it even more closely. Ken Giles might make this roster. Ken Giles, who used to throw a hundred. Now, I think he topped out yesterday at ninety five. And the Philadelphia announcers who were on the broadcast yesterday on MLB Network were talking about uh, they used to call him 100 miles Giles because he'd throw 100 miles an hour. He can't throw 100 miles anymore. He's had surgery. He's had some issues. But that breaking ball was pretty damn good, if you ask me. So what if Ken Giles is a surprise for this roster? Could happen. They signed him for a reason. They saw something, and I think we saw a little bit of that yesterday when he struck out the side with one being – Harper, one being Castellanos, and I think the third one was was uh, uh, Alex Baum. So it was pretty impressive. But so far, so good. Let's hope it continues, and uh, can't wait for the season. Now that we're going to be in March tomorrow, I love March. I was born in March. March is the best month of the year. I don't know if you know that or not. But you've got uh, spring training baseball. You have spring football. You have NFL free agency. You have the big dance, except for teams in the state of Georgia. And you have college baseball, college softball, and my birthday. Hell, you can't beat that, bro, boys and girls. That's pretty good. That's pretty fun. And, that, you know, I love March, and tomorrow it is. So, um, so far, so good down in spring training for the Bravos, that's for sure. Next, we'll talk a little bit about the Georgia baseball team, what happened last night. Also, what's the latest on the Falcons and their search for a new quarterback? I'm Bill Shanks. Thank you very much for listening to The Bill Shanks Show. One more brave story we have to talk about, and that is money. The Braves financial information came out today for 2023. Tim Tucker, retired writer, but still contributes to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution once in a blue moon, has an article about the situation. You know the Braves are a privately held company, or publicly, I should say, publicly held company. Braves Holdings, which consists of the baseball team and mixed-use development called the Battery, reported today that it generated, in 2023, $641 million dollars in revenue, up $52 million, 9% up 
from 2022. The late, and I'm just reading the article from Tim now. The latest results reflect a continuation of the dramatic revenue growth the Braves have seen since their move to Truist Park, a trajectory interrupted only by the pandemic four years ago. According to figures previously reported by the AJC, the Braves generated revenue in 2016, their last season of Turner Field, of $262 million. Then their first season at Truist Park, they went up to $386 million, up $124 million. Then it was up to 442, 476, down, of course, because of the pandemic to 178. The championship year of 2021, it was 568. And then in 2022, it was $589 million. So from $589 million to $641 million of 52 million bucks. The Braves attributed the 2023 revenue increase to a range of factors, including ticket demand, new sponsorships, and contractual rate increases in existing sponsorships and broadcasting contracts, and suggested the trend should expect to continue in 2024. Terry McGurk said, we are thrilled with both the team and financial performance of the Braves in 2023. Our management continues to focus on optimizing the ballpark with upgrades planned for 2024 to drive more commercial opportunities and an improved fan experience. Season tickets, including premium seats, are already sold out in participation of uh, anticipation rather of another exciting season. The battery benefited from increased foot traffic and strong sales across the development and we expect another strong year ahead. Now listen to this. Of the $641 million in revenue in 2023, the Braves attributed $582 million to baseball sources, such as ticket prices, concessions, advertising, sponsorship, retail, licensing, suites, and local and national broadcast rights. And the other $59 million to the battery primarily rental income. The Braves said that 161 million of their baseball revenue came from broadcasting up from 154 million in 2022. In the SEC filing on Wednesday, Braves holding said it defines attendance as quote the number of ticket holders who enter Truist Park and said the average number of attendees per regular season home games last year was 32,542. That is 17% lower than the Braves' announced average attendance. Typically, pro sports teams publicly announce attendance as the number of tickets sold or distributed as opposed to the actual attendance in the stadium. Offsetting the revenue gains, the Braves' expenses were also higher last year. Braves' holdings reported the 2023 operating profit before depreciation and amortization Adjusted OIBDA for all of our accountants out there. The most common metric along with revenue for assessing pro sports franchises' economic performance was $38 million, down 35% from 2022. The Braves said that baseball operating costs increased primarily due to higher player salaries, including off-season trade activity in the fourth quarter, as well as an increase under MLB's revenue-sharing plan. For example, the Braves reportedly spent... 
17 million on bad contracts associated for acquiring left fielder Jared Kelnick from Seattle in December. Uh, these numbers are unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't think there's any reason for Liberty Media to sell the Atlanta Braves right now. When you have things like this going on with a part of your portfolio, you're not selling the team. I know the Yankees and, and probably the Dodgers are the top two teams as far as the value, but I can't imagine there being a team above Atlanta for that third spot. I, I just can't imagine. I mean, these numbers are unbelievable. And they're going to continue to, to – look, th this is why <laughs> – this team is, is kind of sickening right now. They're going to stay good. We've gone over several times about the contracts that Alex Antopoulos has locked these players up into. Austin Riley for another decade. Matt Olson for six years. Spencer Strider for seven years. I mean, we can go on and on and on. All of these kids are locked up into really good contracts. And and they're going to continue to be good. If you want to have a worst-case scenario for the Braves, hell, they still may win 90-something games because this is a great team they have right here. And you're going to continue to want to go see this team all year long. So this revenue is going to continue at a high – at a high at this unbelievable level. And, you know, the first thing I thought of when I saw this article a couple of hours ago was, sign Max Freed, Alex Anthopoulos. Please, for the love of God, sign Max Freed. You got it. You got the money to do it. I mean, the, the money's there to sign Max Freed, and, and I I certainly hope they do. I really do. I, I mean, it's, um, it's a big decision coming for the Braves, but... If this kind of revenue continues, why would they not want to lock up an ace pitcher? And that's exactly what he is. All right. Um, I want to talk about a, a Georgia Bulldog baseball player. Now, Georgia lost last night big. They, they, they finally lost. They lost to Michigan State. Michigan State was not very good. But the dogs, you know, they, they I'm not doing excuses for them. I don't care. I mean, they were kind of due for a clunker. They started the season 8-0, and they were, they were just kind of due for a, a clunker. And they had they had a clunker, a nineteen to five. I don't even know what the heck the final score was. Doesn't really matter. It was bad. It was a bad game last night. Their pitching staff gave up a lot of runs. And if you listen to Jeff and and David on the broadcast last night, uh, they you know they were kind of running on fumes, and they they were um, their pitching staff was not in good shape. <laughs> they they they've already played a pretty good number of games here, and they played on Tuesday night, and their pitching staff just needed a break and they they did not play well. They lost big time. Nineteen to six was the final score. But in this game last night, Charlie Condon went three for four, four RBI and three home runs. Tied a school record by hitting three home runs. He gave the Bulldogs a two nothing lead with a two run home run in the first inning. His fifth of the year, the lead was short lived. Spartans came back. Then Condon had another home run in the second inning, his second of the night. This one traveled 437 feet with an exit velocity of 114. Then in the fourth inning, Conan struck again as his seventh home run of the year. And he went uh, 373 feet over the right field fence with that one. 
Three home runs. Charlie Condon has been unbelievable so far this year in his first nine games. He is hitting 639 with a 696 on base percentage, a slugging percentage of 1.417, and a OPS of 2.113. Nine games, small sample size, but still, my gosh, he's got seven home runs and 13 runs batted in. Georgia has four players, excuse me, five players in their first nine games of the season who have driven in 10 or more runs. Slade Alford, the kid, uh, the transfer for third base, has got 10 RBI. Logan Jordan, 12 RBI. Dylan Goldstein, 12 RBI. Colby Branch, 11 RBI. And then Dylan Carter has 9 RBI. Offense is doing pretty well so far. But Charlie Condon, let me tell you, Charlie Condon's a... (laughs) It's a great prospect. He is 6'6", 216 pounds, right-handed hitter, redshirt sophomore, went to the Walker School in the Atlanta area from Marietta, and he's going to be a top draft pick coming up this year, like top five. One mock draft that I pulled up had him going fifth to the White Sox, and if I'm Charlie Condon, the only thing I'm saying is just don't let me go to Oakland. Please, Oakland, do not draft me here's another mock draft let's see where he's at here he's at number five again with the white Sox. a lot of people believe that jack caglianon the two-way player from florida is going to be the top draft pick this year a lot of good college players that are getting some play at the top of the draft nick kurtz kid from wake forest maybe a top three pick a infielder J.J. Weatherholt from Wake, uh, West Virginia. Caglianon, as we said. Um, and then Travis Bazana from Oregon State. And then Charlie Conan right there. Charlie Conan's a good player. And, and it's so fun for the dogs to have a, a player of this caliber for themselves here in this year. And uh, they're going to be fun to watch. I mean, we, we got a real interesting series coming up with Georgia and Georgia Tech this weekend. Of course, Friday will be in Atlanta. Weather permitting, it's supposed to rain real bad in Atlanta this this uh, weekend and tomorrow night in particular. They're going to be in Atlanta tomorrow at Georgia Tech. Then they'll be in Athens on Saturday. And then they'll be back in uh, Gwinnett at the Gwinnett Stripers home ballpark on Sunday. So they got a three-game series with Georgia Tech. And I'm glad they did this. Scott Strickland did this several years ago where – uh, he reached out, and he and Danny Hall came up with this, where let's just have it all in one weekend, and I think it's great. Uh, we, we don't see them in a, in a weekday setting. We see them in a weekend setting, and so that's, that's awesome. It's going to be fun because, of course, the kid Burris for Georgia Tech, who had four home runs in the game the other day, he's a freshman. And it's like, well, what have they got with that kid? So I'm happy for Georgia and Georgia Tech to be off to good starts. But I think with Condon being a, a draft-eligible player coming up this year, it's going to be fun to watch that kid because he's going to be a high draft pick. And, again, uh, the Braves can't get him. They can't trade up to get him, that's for sure. And you know, the weird thing about this is now, redshirt sophomore, he could say, no, I'm not going to the pros. I'm going to go back to college. They have that right. 
You know, it's not it's not like unless things have changed now, it's not like football where if you declare you're done in college and you wonder if that'll be revisited at some point as well, but I mean in baseball if you're if you don't sign, you go back to college for another year. And you know Charlie Condon's got to be giving getting some type of NIL money. I don't know how much. I don't know how much the Georgia baseball program has, but you know there's some there. And Charlie Condon's got to be getting a decent little piece of change, doesn't he? I mean, he's a tremendous talent. So it's worth keeping an eye on and and uh, enjoy the heck out of the broadcast with Jeff Danzler and David Johnson, two of my best friends in the business. And they, of course, are outstanding. I enjoyed the heck out of listening to them coming back from savannah last night just a real fun broadcast and we hope you'll listen every time they're on the air with us but charlie conan continues to make some headlines and three home runs last night contributed to it we'll take a break come back a little basketball talk and football that and more as we continue right after this quarter till top of the hour thanks for being with us good question from the secret text line frank and macon said Playing devil's advocate with the impressive revenue numbers, now is the time for Liberty Media to sell if the right offer comes along. Well, and and I think that is a a good premise. The only thing that I believe could be a little bit of a strategic move for Liberty Media if they do have any thought of selling the Braves in the next five years is the television contract. The television contract is due up in a couple of years. Hard to believe. We, we, we used to sit around in 2008 and 2009 and say, my gosh, there's 17 years until the until the TV contract's up, and now here we are a couple of years from it. But we are. We're three years away from the television contract being up, and you know all the problems that Bally has had with their parent company. And I, I just think once the Braves have a new television contract, and I don't know what that's going to be because we now, as you know, cannot just say television contract. I think we have to say the video delivery contract that the Braves are going to have moving forward into the 2030s. How are you as a consumer going to get the Atlanta Braves moving forward in the next five to 20 plus years? Well, it's not necessarily going to be on that big 85-inch TV in your living room. It's probably also going to be on your phone, your tablet, other things. And with cable penetration, of course, down, and the direct-to-consumer type devices now available, um, the Braves are in the catbird seat of truly being able to strategically create a video delivery system that can not only allow their fans to have more access to their coverage, but can also bring them a ton of money. I mean, a lot of money. Now, you know, the interesting thing about that is, and, you know, the Braves were put into a 20-year agreement, which was dumb. Oh, my God. It was awful. And I think I know who did it. It doesn't matter. You don't know him. But I it, I can't remember his name now. I can see his face. He was a part of the of the Time Warner group. And, you know, I have, I have some thoughts about that that really aren't even for radio consumption because it's 
me being really vulgar because of how stupid I think that deal was. But <clears throat> the ability for them to make a, a ton of money on that new TV contract slash delivery, video delivery system, is there. And so back to the question, I, I would think that if they are in position to have a television contract that's going to provide them even more and more substantial revenue moving forward, it would be even better for Liberty to wait and get that under their control and then sell it if they wanted to. But I don't know. I mean, look, we know how crazy these things happen. They could be put up on the market tomorrow for all we know. But, man, with all this money going on, it just makes you think, well, maybe not. Maybe not. So, anyway, we'll see. It's a good question, though. Very good question. The um, NFL Combine's going on. Today, it's defensive line and linebackers. I just flipped it on NFL Network here as we were talking about this. Quarterbacks are Saturday. So those of you who are going to want to see J.J. McCarthy and Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, it's going to be Saturday. And I, I'm, I promise you I'm going, to, I'm going to be watching it. The Falcons, of course, are knee-deep in rumors about the quarterback situation with Justin Fields at the top of the list. So far, no movement on that. Of course, we were told yesterday by two sources that it was looking very probable of that happening, where Justin Fields would be traded to Atlanta from Chicago, and the Bears were, of course, going to keep their first-round pick and or their first first-round pick via the Panthers and in turn take either Caleb Williams or Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Earlier today on ESPN Television, Dan Orlowski, who – with the exception of him being sinfully skinny, is a really, really good television commentator on ESPN. I really think he's good. He said that he believes the Chicago Bears should take Jaden Daniels, the number one, one overall pick. I'm not really surprised by that. You know, I, I believe that we here in the South are a little um, slanted toward Daniels because we saw him play more than – Caleb Williams or even Drake May. I mean, Drake May, yes, in the South, but ACC. But Jay Daniels, we saw him play against the upper competition in the Southeastern Conference. And, of course, um, I think we were even impressed with, with, with the way he played Georgia, the SEC championship game a couple of years ago. He's good. There's no question about it. he's good. And I, I think he's going to be a really good pro. And I, I, I am – that is one player on my list of the Falcons that is like, okay, I don't think he's going to fall to eight, but if you could scoot up and get him at a decent price, okay. You know, the other part of the discussion, well, not the other because it's what I just said, the price of moving up. You know, we talked about the price of, of getting Justin Fields. What is that price? Is it a third and a fifth? a second and a fourth. I mean, how much are they going to have to pay if, in fact, that's the direction they go? And then you think about, all right, well, what if they decide to trade up in the draft? Who are they trading up for? Now, if they want to guarantee you the number one pick and the number one player, they're going to have to deal with Chicago about that. And they would have to give up their first-round pick this year, number eight, their second-round pick this year, more than likely, and they're first and second probably next year as well. 
Is there a quarterback on that team that just blows you away that makes you think, yep, or on that in that draft rather, just makes you think, yeah, this is it. This is the player who's going to be the franchise player for the Falcons for many years to come, and we've got to have him. Well, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, is Caleb Williams that type of player? Drake May, Jaden Daniels, or can you wait and get J.J. McCarthy at number eight or trade back and get him there? I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know. And, and you know, it's a shame those top three aren't going to be in the in the combine, but we'll be able to see the others and see how the others perform as well because uh, this is a big decision for the Falcons. There's no question about it. This is a huge decision, and they, um, you know, they, they need to get this right. So easy to fall in love with the quarterback. I, I've, I've talked so many times about the Bears GM a couple years ago falling in love with Mitchell Trubisky. You've got so many different examples through the years of quarterbacks who have not developed into anything and were flops. From their first overall pick to uh, one that was taken in day two to Desmond Ritter, right? I mean, you've got so many different examples of that. And you don't want the Falcons to have an Achilles Smith here. Achilles Smith was supposed to be a big-time quarterback, and the Bengals drafted him third overall, and he was awful. He was awful. And so Brett, the the quarterback is such an integral part. We know that. They've got to get this right, and it's it's not easy. It's a tough, tough call. So, anyway, we'll keep an eye on the Justin Field situation. We'll keep an eye on – the, the the deal with – we're now two weeks away from the free agent situation. So, you know, we're not too far away from even more rumors coming about free agents. And and I think we're going to start seeing even more as we go along here. But could Justin Fields be traded after the combine? Some people think that may be a, uh, a little bit of a incentive for the Bears to go ahead and make that deal to get the draft picks lined up so they can decide who they're going to – who they're going to pick and who they're going to pick for their quarterback if they are going to take that number one overall pick or slide back to two or three, which could happen as well. So a lot of things going on with the with the Falcons, and uh, we can't wait to see how it turns out next couple of weeks. It'll, it'll be the start of it. Hawks play Brooklyn tonight. Brooklyn is 22-36. and 36. The Hawks are 26-32. and 32. They've won two in a row without Trey Young, and they've kept the opponent under 100 points both times. They do it tonight against Brooklyn. Well, Brooklyn's not very good either. They're four games back of Atlanta, but we'll see how the Hawks do tonight. You're listening to The Bill Shank Show. Ah! 